Did you know that the average nonprofit will raise anywhere between 25 and 45% of their annual online revenue in the last 45 days in the calendar year? So November 15th through December 31st. That's what our data and research suggests, but you probably already know that year-end, this time, is hugely important. So if you want to learn more about what our research suggests uh, for you to optimize and improve year-end fundraising, you can find it all at nextafter.com slash year-end, one word, Y-E-A-R-E-N-D, year-end. You'll find the cutting through the clutter study where we looked at hundreds and thousands of emails sent by nonprofits to figure out how you can stand out. You'll get free access to the year end fundraising accelerator, three free lessons walking through some of the tips and tactics that we've seen work for organizations over the past few years, as well as a link to the year end fundraising course. Online certification course, CFRE credits, certification from the Next After Institute, which is more in-depth and will walk you through how to run and optimize a year-end fundraising campaign online. So all those things can be found at nextafter.com slash year-end. That is nextafter.com slash year-end. All right, on with the show. Good day and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show, but not just any episode, a special episode. This podcast exists to take a 360 degree look at generosity and how we can uh, improve, grow and optimize it. And this episode, we're actually going to have three different perspectives, all talking about year end fundraising. So first, we're going to talk to Nathan Hill, who's the marketing director at Next After. He's going to talk about some new research that uh, we have done, looking at the different fundraising activities of nonprofits and then some of the training and resources that he and we have created based off that data and research of how folks can go about optimizing and improving year-end fundraising. Then we're going to talk to Woodrow Rosenbaum, who's the data and insights lead for Giving Tuesday. And we're going to talk about things like donor fatigue and the success of Giving Tuesday now and the growing movement of Giving Tuesday and all kinds of other things in between, but really focus on uh, what is Giving Tuesday coming up look like and what does he expect or think um, calendar year-end 2020 will look like. And then you'll hear from Artie Coolidge. He is the Director of Marketing Communications at CareNet. So he, he will bring the nonprofit perspective. So we've heard from the research, we've heard from Giving Tuesday, and then you're going to hear from uh, someone working in the trenches at a nonprofit. Uh, what has he seen over the past three, four, five years when it comes to year end? What are some of the, the things that he's going to be testing and trying this year? Uh, what are some of the things that he's learned along the way? And then we'll have a rapid fire round with some different um, favorite tools and resources of Artie's. So the focus is all year end as we are heading into that incredibly critical season. Nathan Hill, Woodrow Rosenbaum, and Artie Coolidge. Away we go. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show. Here we go. It's just another Freak Show. Here we go. Nathan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Brady. It's good to good to be here. We're uh, we're videoing ourselves. It's very weird. It's very strange. I'm tempted to look right here and stare at myself in the video. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you can't see. Yeah, it's terrible doing. podcasting. Saying it's kind of fun. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into this. Uh, marketing director for Next After. Yeah, it's good to be uh, on the show as opposed to just like introing the show every now and again. Yeah, this and is a little different. Producing and mixing. 
cool. sort of yeah, taking credit for maybe to, someone else <laughs> mixing it. It's fun to have you as a guest. Yeah. So we're, this whole episode is based on your end. So later on, we're going to talk to Woodrow Rosenbaum from Giving Tuesday, and then we're going to have Artie Coolidge from CareNet on the nonprofit side. Cool. But let's talk about some of the research that you and we have been doing at Next After around your end. So first thing, can you just define year end for us and then kind of some of the groundwork research that you and we have done? Sure. Uh, chaos, excitement, fear. Mm. I think those are some of the adjectives that go along with, with year, year end, end. For, for many fundraisers. Uh, year end, we like to define it as the last basically 45 days of the year. So from like November 15th through December 31st is really the year end season. Uh, it's a big thing in the States. I'll speak specifically to the States. You can talk about you know, Canada for sure. Uh, but definitely a big thing in the States, particularly because of the tax deadlines and the tax incentives for, you know, getting year end gifts in before January 1st, so you can write it off and all that stuff. Granted, that's not a great reason to give to a specific cause, but it can be, it, it is an incentive for people giving in that last like 30 days to 45 day window. So it's obviously a huge thing for fundraisers, a huge thing for nonprofits. Uh, and in many cases, it becomes like the primary time of year where people are raising funds to fuel their cause for the next year, right or wrong. That's, that's, that tends to be what happens. Uh, some organizations see you know 25% of revenue come in during this time. Some see up to like 45%, even up to 50% come in during this time. So it's, it's really significant in the life of a nonprofit. Right. And so what about on the research side? Obviously, you know, we exist to do research and try to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many non organizations as we can. Yeah. And so, you know, if this is such an important time of year for nonprofits, then we as well want to make sure that we're studying it. So um, what, what kind of research methodology, you know, do we, it's weird saying do we have, but what, sure. what, is, what goes into the research that we have uh, to help nonprofits? Yeah. Well, I mean, I joined X after about four and a half years ago, and this was one of, I think, maybe the second research study that Next After had published, even at the time. There was this initial online fundraising scorecard, which was really going out to, I don't remember how many, maybe 120 nonprofits and looking at how do they acquire emails and what, is, what do they say on their donation page and what does email follow-up communication look like? And from that initial base of research, we developed this uh, aggregate donor inbox. And so this very first year-end season where we were doing this research, it was really just looking at, you know, what emails are people sending to us in the inbox and how do we score them and how do we grade them? What can we learn from them? And in particular, the question driving the research was, how do you just cut through the clutter? Because the year-end time was just mm -hmm, insane in mm -hmm. terms of the amount of emails in your inbox, not just from nonprofits, but also from people trying to sell you stuff that you want to buy your friends and family for Christmas. And just, I mean, everything else that goes along with the last you know, 30 days of the year. So it's a cluttered place in the inbox. And so the goal of the research was really to figure out what are some ways, whether they're proven strategies or not, they're at least data-driven ideas to help you get seen. Um, now, the past couple of years, the data set has changed a little bit, especially this most recent year as we've updated the data. Uh, we're looking at a, a slightly smaller subset of nonprofits, but they have a little bit more of an intentional online presence. So we're trying to figure out what are these groups doing? What are these organizations doing to increase giving to reach their donors at this time? Again, with the same sort of base. How do you cut through the clutter? How do you get your communication seen during such a critical time? And then bringing in all of our other A-B testing data and research to figure out, well, what actually works to boost yeah, so we'll we'll talk about maybe more like the 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 training that, that we have put together. This more like how do you do a year end campaign? That's not really what the cut through the clutter, cutting through the clutter research is really about. It's not like here's how to run a full campaign. This is like right. here's how to maybe stand out or optimize, right? So how do you? What are some of the key data points from kind of this year's study or some of the things that jumped out? Sure. 
well, in short, we looked at 145 nonprofit organizations to see what emails are they actually sending. And it's funny when you look at this data year over year over year, like a lot of the same trends continue to hold true. So some things that you might expect if you've heard any of our research before, like people are just sending from their brand name, from their organization name. Not a lot of actual human beings are sending emails. So there's not a lot of like donor relationships being built in the inbox. So that's one. Um, on top of that, most organizations are sending at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every year as we do this type of analysis to look at you know, what time during the day and what days in the week are emails being sent, there's this obviously a big hotspot of the work day, Monday through Friday, and the work time. So basically like 7 a.m. up to 4 p.m. is really this hotspot for sending emails. And we see this consistently. So one thing we often talk about is you know, there's an opportunity to be seen if you send at a different time. Now, you may see slight fluctuations in metrics, and just because you send on like a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon when there's less emails in the inbox, doesn't mean you're going to get more donations specifically, or maybe more opens, but you might reach someone at a time where they have more capacity to think about giving, which could actually lead to higher revenue and higher average gifts. So there's maybe some trade-offs there, but it's at least a different way of thinking to how to actually be seen and heard by your donors during this time. Yeah. And again, I think it's an interesting data point because a lot of organizations maybe run their own tests around opens and clicks, and then the data will tell you to send it around this time. And people are opening and clicking more, mm-hmm. or people will look at their own inboxes or copy other nonprofits that are sending this time. But there's not a ton of necessarily like experiment data. So we're just trying to bring in some other data of saying, look when everyone's sending and can you do this like, you know, contra competitive strategy to send when others aren't right especially if you are measuring because we have seen like average gift typically um, is higher in the early afternoon and on weekends yep so volume may be lower but average gift higher and we're not saying like send all your emails on the weekends are we like how, how do you, uh, you use should that send data? every email you send to a year end should be sunday <laughs> at 4 35 p.m central time period done deal done Game over. <laughs> well, that's, that's the end of the podcast yep. yeah. all right see you later <laughs> Uh, no, it's just part, it's, it's an idea and a strategy you could weave into sort of the larger narrative that you're telling throughout the season. So maybe you've emailed somebody on Monday and they saw your email, but they didn't have time to give, but they might actually have more time to respond when you email them the following Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. Because, you know, if they're married or if the partner and they're talking about budgets and how much can we give and where should we give, they actually have time and space to mm. you know, consider should we give to this organization organization or that organization? Should we give 300 bucks or 500 bucks? And what should we do? So it's, it's a way of just continuing the story, continuing the relationship, continuing the narrative throughout the whole season. Yeah, and like the overarching principle, what's interesting is, you know, tying it back to something like even the donor retention problem that we have, right? If we say the same things to the same people in the same way and they don't engage, we keep sending the same things to the same people in the same way and being like, oh, they're not engaging, yeah. right? So even that is saying, um, maybe send an email so that's from a different person. Send an email at a different time. These are all yeah. strategies to try to reach a different type of person at a different time instead of doing the same thing all the time, right? So there's like this variability. And then there's some advantage of standing out, you know, sending from a person, maybe deliverability. But it's this idea if you keep doing the exact same thing all the same time, you may reach maybe even your core demographic, which is sure. great. But what about everyone else that's not engaging, right? There's got to be other ways to reach them. So right. trying to use that data-based approach. Yeah. Um, one more thing on that. I yeah. think it, it seems I don't have a specific, you know, data point. This hasn't been researched, but my feeling is that there's a lot of fundraisers who are looking for sort of this like silver bullet solution to increasing funds. So like, like a really common question is just what time do I need to send my emails? Mm-hmm. Assuming that the problem with 
raising more money is specifically right. just we're not sending at the right time. Yeah. If we send five minutes later, maybe that's the optimal time. Uh, but looking at your strategy in a little bit more broad strokes to understand the large, again, like the larger narrative, what you're communicating overall right. and finding, as you're kind of saying, like new ways to interact with someone rather than just saying the same thing over and over and just thinking like, yeah. well, if we just used one different character in the subject line, then that would actually be the breakthrough. Right. Like that's never going to be the thing that radically changes. your right. No, it's a really good point. It's, it's like a low lever test or it's a low leverage kind of strategy. Yeah. You know, once it's kind of dancing around the edges. So what are some of the bigger strategies that we see? Maybe not necessarily in the cutting through the clutter study, but looking at A-B testing experiments or looking what clients and customers do during their year ends, like what are some of the the overarching strategies that people need to employ or keep in mind during calendar year end for online fundraising? Yeah. Well, one thing that that stood out to me doing this research this year. I mean, every year we, we conduct a few different types of research studies and kind of have a different lens that we look at things through. And one study we released this year uh, is on multi-channel study. Obviously you did a lot of the work for that, but bringing that, that lens to the year end fundraising, you know, I guess problem we'll say, cause we're trying to figure out how do you actually mm-hmm. increase things. So get like multi-channel and looking at how are people cultivating don't, was sort of a lens I tried to bring to it. And one stat that I found, it's not necessarily a problem stat, but it's something interesting to think about, at least for me, which was that 70% of emails sent during year-end 2019 were a solicitation. Hmm. You can break that down by vertical and see like some variance. Uh, I actually have a note here. Uh, Like arts and education nonprofits were the most likely to send a mix of cultivation and solicitations. Those groups actually sent more cultivation. Hmm. They did actual like donation appeals. But they were sort of the odd ones out. Everyone else sent this like way more skewed, like overwhelming amount of solicitations as opposed to cultivating content. You obviously have to ask for a donation to get a donation, especially during this time. But I wonder, based on some other things that we've seen through testing, like what if you actually wove in more intentional cultivation mm-hmm. during this time? We often say that, you know, you can't just show up at year end and send a bunch of emails and expect right. to get a bunch of money right. back. Uh, year end is the pro- your your year end success is the product of everything that you've done throughout the course of the year. Right, but you shouldn't stop just on November fifteenth actually cultivating your donors. You need to still kind of bring them into the fold, show them the impact that they're having, continue to thank them for their support, and right. engage them in real and relevant ways. So I do wonder if maybe that that ratio should shift a little bit. Uh, just one one experiment I think we conducted maybe a year and a half ago or so, and it's just sort of getting some legs this year, which is. Uh, one organization was sending a monthly appeal and that was pretty much it. They saw some pretty like abysmal rates in terms of email engagement. And they decided, what if we continue to send this appeal, but we also added in a weekly cultivation email. Mm-hmm. So they ran an A-B test, put the file in half. They ran it for six months. And the overwhelming response was that they saw, I think it was 41% more revenue mm. from the group that they sent weekly cultivation email to. Mm. So what if you just wove that into your year-end program instead of just sending solicitations? Yeah. Maybe you see a significant increase. Yeah, and one of the the cool things that that um, we we've done earlier, we did a workshop, a whole workshop on year end fundraising, and you in particular walked through this timeline that we kind of have built as you know for beginners or intermediate or advanced or super advanced in terms of like the number of emails because that's a question mm-hmm. we get all the time too. It's really hard to answer, so right. it's kind of like choose your own adventure timeline. But in that, a lot of those emails are cultivation emails, right? Sure. It's it's a Thanksgiving email, it's an impact report email. And what we're trying to focus on is, A, it stands out. You're not just ask, 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 ask. But we know cultivation leads to donations. 
and particularly like strategic cultivation or like using this element of priming, right? If you say yeah. thanks in a very strategic way, like thank you so much at Thanksgiving, right, for what your donation allowed last year. And that's true. That's a good thing to do. But then we also know like you're about to get an ask in like two weeks. <laughs> right. And we know that if you get this email that's showing gratitude, you're actually more likely to respond in this email. Yeah. So it's not just this like, oh, the balance should be better. So we're not ask ask. There is a strategic reason behind it too, right? For sure. For sure. And again, I feel like this has sort of been a narrative in this conversation. It's just like looking at on a larger scale, how are you communicating to your donors? Are you just sending them a bunch of one-off? Like here, this thing happened, this thing happened. Or are you telling more of a cohesive story? Mm. We often talk about this in that, in that course and in that workshops. Uh, I think John Powell, one of our good friends, um, came up with this illustration of like, when you cut a diamond, the way that a diamond is like most brilliant is because it uses all these different facets to sort of enhance light. And that's what we talk about in year end is how do you take some different story angles throughout the season to not just say the same thing over and over, but really bring to light and illuminate the larger impact that someone can have. That's not all through donation appeals. Sometimes it's through just sharing a testimonial or sharing a story of, of how a donation has actually impacted a real person. Yeah. And so it's one of the things that we, we obviously talk about in the workshop that we did in the on-demand online course that people can check out. But this year you wanted to do something different for training as well, not just kind of webinars or pointing people to a course. What, what were you working on and, and why did you want to build it? Sure. Uh, so we've put together this training that I'm calling the year-end fundraising accelerator. Accelerator. <laughs> it's, I think it sounds good. <laughs> uh, so that's reason number one. Uh, reason number two is I had a great little promo image of myself. <laughs> you know, some people, I won't name names, but thought I looked maybe a little bit like a model in it. So I was proud so of you, that built, you built a whole campaign because of a cool name <laughs> and that you, you look cool in it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, keep going. No, but we put this together because um, I think it's just a little bit different way to approach the season. You know, oftentimes there's lots of webinars throughout the year-end season of how to do this, how to do that, how to not do this. And uh, we just want to take a more holistic approach uh, and provide a tool that you can access throughout the season. So you can go back to and look mm. at, you know, what do they say about, you know, some different email ideas that I could leave in? Maybe you're getting towards the end of November and you're starting to scramble to put plans together. You just need a quick resource. Mm. Go back, check out these training videos, get some different ideas to put your emails together. Same thing with like Giving Tuesday. There's going to be a lesson on Giving Tuesday, different things you can do to boost revenue. Uh, it's just a resource you can continue to go back to, get some ideas, start to build on. Uh, and it's a way to showcase some of the great opportunities there are in our certification course to mm. dive even deeper and mm -hmm. put together a more holistic plan. So just trying to find a new way to you present some trading in a space that can be really, really cluttered sometimes. Yeah. The thing that I really liked about it is there are so many webinars, especially now, and a lot of them feel like if you're, if you're not able to attend live, like, oh yeah, I'll watch the recording, but like, will you? Right. And then also sometimes it's like, it was a live conversation and there's huge value in having live conversations, Oh yeah. but then like rewatching after the fact. So to have it kind of like on demand or accessible the, the three lessons, right, that are like delivered to you, but then you can go back to them at any point yep. as more of like a, a guide, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's designed for you in that way. It's not designed to be live. You don't feel like you're missing out on right. something because you didn't make it to the date and the time. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Giving Tuesday, something we haven't talked uh, a ton about yet. Obviously, we've got Woodrow Rosenbaum coming on later yeah. to talk about that. But um, what stood out maybe in the, the data from the Cutting Through the Clutter study or maybe the, the, the training? I know you talk about, you know, how to leverage Giving Tuesday in the free training or a workshop. Oh, like, sure. what, what is it that you think is most important for people to know or understand what our research suggests about Giving Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things that I would, I would throw out here. Number one, when we talk about Giving Tuesday, I hear from a lot of people that just don't know what to do at all and, and don't know that it can even be effective for their 
organization. And honestly, every year as we look at the data, I'm a little bit shocked as to see like how much it actually grew from last year to this year. And even last year, I think they brought in about a $311 million in, in online revenue. And it was a big jump from the year before. And I thought like, well, can they actually, like, will that continue to increase or are we going to start to taper off? And then this year is like over 500 million brought in. So it just continues to ramp up and up and up, which makes me wonder like, what is the, what is the true potential of Giving Tuesday? Because at this point where it stands, like December 31st is by far and away like the most important day of the year for giving. And if you can only choose one day to really put resources towards, it should be December 31st. But Giving Tuesday is kind of given it a run and continues to grow and grow and grow. So it's certainly something to be present on, especially if you haven't been active on Giving Tuesday and aren't really sure, like, how do I make this work? It's at least something you should be present for. Uh, I think the stat this year is like 20 billion social media impressions on Giving mm-hmm. Tuesday about Giving Tuesday. It's going to be really, really, really hard for you to be plugged into the world at all and not see Giving Tuesday. Everyone's going to see Giving Tuesday. So if you choose to sit it out, you're kind of leaving some probably easy donations on the table, but it could be a really powerful opportunity to, to be present when your donors are thinking about giving, they're choosing to try to be a part of this sort of global movement of giving, and you you can choose to be part of that. Yeah, and I think what, what else is re- really interesting, and in, in, again, Woodrow talks about this, but he leads up the data team, and I think they've done a really good job of trying to move the data past just how much money came in on the day. They started tracking you know, offline giving. But really looking at this idea of lift and shift, because that's always someone's argument is, you know, if someone gives now, is it kind of cannibalizing, you know, money that's potentially being given later? Are we just, yeah. you know, shifting it forward or is there actually a lift? And they've looked at this for a number of years and they looked at Giving Tuesday now this past uh, spring. And again, they're seeing like, no, this isn't a cannibalization. There's, hmm. there's a pocket of kind of Giving Tuesday-ish donors, kind of like annual donors or December 31st donors that are emerging. But it's not like they they gave on Giving Tuesday, therefore they're they're done giving or something like right. that. Like giving does beget giving. And I know Classy did some research maybe two years ago now looking at Giving Tuesday donors and how they're a lot more likely to do like peer fundraisers or maybe yeah. be a little bit more social, which makes sense. It's a social day. And if they like that kind of thing, then maybe they are more social in their giving as opposed totally. to makes sense. December 31st donors, which are a lot, but it's also maybe like more calculated and, yeah. you know, here's how much money I have left budgeted over or something, whereas Giving Tuesday donors are slightly different. Yeah. So I think the the data has been really important to make the case for more nonprofits. Like, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, sit this out, you know, it's not just how much money's going on, but it's not cannibalizing other things, which I think is really important. Yeah. It's really interesting to to hear that because that is kind of the kind, the the common argument and the common idea is how much is it hurting, hurting other things. And I've also heard some stats about, you know, the potential for reactivation and acquiring new donors during that time. So it's not the, it's not just going back to the same pool of people. There's opportunity to reach, new people and sort of bring them into the fold too. So I think there's a lot of yeah, asking for volunteers or asking for like non-financial ways to contribute. Mm-hmm. Uh, companies get very involved on the day, which can be a hard thing to get involved, but yeah. you know, it makes it easier for companies to get involved. So again, I think that um, the thing that helps is, you know, December 31st is a natural time barrier that kind of nonprofits can leverage. Right. And in this case, like I think Woodrow said, it's like 20% of Americans or something participate in giving to like, it's an insanely high amount. Dang. Right. So the more people that are kind of knowing about it comes across your feeds, comes in your inbox. I mean, we know that communication touch points matter. Yeah. And so if you're kind of getting a little bit of this bandwagon effect, just from hearing of it, there is a chance nonprofit uh, can stand out. But one of the things that we did see and why we were maybe, I was a curmudgeon early on for <laughs> sure. And I know next after was a little bit is a, it was disproportionate. We knew December 31st was important. And people were not taking advantage of it or not using it and really 
going all in on Giving Tuesday and forgetting right. December 31st. Right. It seems like that trend has balanced out a little bit, no, in, in the latest data set? Yeah, and again, the data set we're looking at this year is a little bit different, so hard to compare right, like apples fully. to apples. But what we saw was basically, it's still a little skewed. 75% of organizations we're tracking emails for participated in Giving Tuesday. And when I say participated, I mean sent us an email. email. Right. And only 72%, so almost even, but 72% participated on December 31st. So looking at the revenue breakdown, you would assume it would be flipped the other way. Right. Even though it's really close, I would still, I would kind of hope that significantly more people would be participating on December 31st as opposed to Giving Tuesday, but that's not what the data says. So it's getting, apparently it's getting better and right. more balanced, but probably still some some room to grow and room to improve. Yeah. Well, uh, Giving Tuesday and kind of this different ways you can approach it, giving something to someone as opposed to mm. just asking you know, things that are covered in the accelerator and the workshop. So, you know, looking at all the different um, research and experiments and examples and workshops, like, I know there's a lot of different things that you think nonprofits should do, and that's where they should check out the training. But what's maybe one key thing that people can take away thinking about their their year end campaign that they should do? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I'm going to come back to this idea of of just cultivation throughout mm-hmm. the season, because I think it's a Maybe um, it doesn't. It's not a revolutionary approach by any stretch, right. but I think it's a unique approach in the sense that there's not a lot of people doing it. There's not a lot of people taking this approach of how do I, you know, consistently communicate value to my donors, and I don't just mean like saying thank you. Also, would you give us money? I yeah, mean, like <laughs> right. giving them things to help them feel a part of your organization. There are some examples we're looking at putting that the the training together, uh, where one we talk about this idea of you know, can you give something to your donor first? before you actually ask them for money. And one example that we saw in the inbox was like a way that you could create like a digital card you could send to somebody on the front. I don't know if it's a healthcare organization Mm. or something like that, but a way to like just give back and say thanks to the people sort of on the front lines. And then on the other end of that, you could position a donation ask, but it's a way to get someone like really involved in the work that you're actually doing and feel a part of it. And if you feel a part of it, how much more likely are you going to be to actually invest in it and invest in the impact? So Now, if you're going to do like one thing a little bit different, think through some ways that you can you know, creatively invite your donors into the fold and into the impact that you're actually making. Cool. Yeah, I know uh, it's something actually Artie is going to talk about later in this oh, episode because cool. that's something that they've tested their way into and found a lot of success. I think they put together like a a devotional, so they're a faith based group, but like okay. a, they gave this kind of devotional for December, you know, as as part of it, and they just had tons of success with it. So that's awesome. it's cool see, seeing that kind of in the data and some examples and then, you know, hearing anecdotally from others and things like that. So that's yeah. cool. Um, cool. Well, thanks for sharing some of that. Where can people find out more about cutting through the clutter or the accelerator or this research? Yeah. If you just go to nexteffort.com slash year end, it's all one word, no dashes, no spaces, whatever. Nexteffort.com slash year end. Uh, you can find a bunch of different resources from us. There's blog posts and things like that. There's this study, Cut Through the Clutter 2020 version. Uh, there's also this year end accelerator that you can sign up for and join the training. So hopefully it's a one-stop shop for improving your online fundraising this year. Cool. Well, awesome. Thanks for doing all the, the research and legwork, putting it together. Absolutely. It was a blast. All right, big thanks to Nathan for all the work and research that he's been doing. And now we are going to transition to a conversation with Woodrow Rosenbaum from Giving Tuesday. Here we go. Hey, Woodrow, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back, Brady. It's always a pleasure. Well, we're going to dive into uh, all kinds of cool stuff that you're doing in terms of data and looking at Giving Tuesday now, looking ahead to Giving Tuesday year end, to the data commons, all kinds of stuff. But before we get to that, uh, earlier this year, Giving Tuesday launched this new initiative called the Starling Co- Collective. 
that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about that before we start really geeking out on some on some data. Can you just share a little bit more about um, what the Starling Collective is? And maybe uh, why I'm interested is like, where did this idea come from? What was the need that this initiative is trying to solve? Yeah, we're pretty excited about this. It's um, it's inspiring to our team. It's been really motivating. Uh, and we stood up super fast, as we tend to do. <laughs> um, the launch of this actually goes back to giving today now, where um, to help a network of global leaders and, and communities to stand up um, this that response with so little notice, we uh, we had a program to provide micro-grants to some of those uh, leaders and communities uh, to help them have some capacity to, to be agile and get some campaigns going. It was really successful. Um, it helped to make Giving Tuesday now a big success and to see activation in 145 countries. Um, and we also identified that there was both a need to go beyond just funds uh, and provide an, an opportunity for networking, collaboration, for coaching, um, and for a, a focus on learning and measurement, both for that community and for us as a, as a movement. And so the Starling Collective is really the second version of this, where we're going beyond that micro-grant model and providing that peer learning network. We are, it, part of this includes funding those projects. So it's a, it funds grassroots work um, that is really intended to uh, help scale generosity innovation around the world, um, and also as an opportunity to directly address some of the structural inequality that we see, mm. um, breaking down some of the traditional barriers to resources and to networks and to funds that so many of these grassroots movement builders um, face. And so the Starling Collective, which is just launching, uh, helps us to do that and um, and to learn from all of these grassroots leaders to identify best practices and to help ingest that into the Giving Tuesday ecosystem and, and provide uh, new models that can be scaled. Awesome. Yeah. And I saw that the first fall cohort was kind of selected in, I didn't go through every single one, but when I looked, it's, it's very, very international, right? Um, you know, can you share a little bit more about, yeah. you know, the international right. nature? And also, I think sometimes, especially in the U.S., uh, guilty of Giving Tuesday, thinking like, oh, it's it's a U.S. thing, uh, and that's really not the case. So, can you share a little bit more about the international nature of your work in the Starling Collective as well? Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, we we got about two thousand applications from ninety three different countries, uh, from organizations, from coalitions, from individuals. Really, a very broad range of applicants and, and programs um, looking to be part of this learning lab. Um, from that pool, we selected 50 participants. Uh, they represent 29 countries. They speak 33 languages. The youngest, uh, the youngest participant is 11 years old. The, mm. the oldest is 71. And they all have really innovative new models and experiments that they're looking to, uh, to, to try to uh, drive positive impact in their communities. Awesome. Yeah. The, the definition is, you know, a new experimental learning lab for grassroots leaders and movement builders who are driving change in their communities. And that's why I was like, interesting. We got to talk about this. Well, um, I, I do want to dive into the data, but for folks who maybe haven't heard of it, where can they find out more about the Starling Collective or even, you know, apply themselves? 
Yeah, so we will have more cohorts of uh, the Starling Collective. This is the first. We're already learning a lot, uh, which is exciting. Um, and uh, you can find out more just by going to the website, givingtuesday.org. Um, it's in the menu. It's easy to find. And uh, there will be lots of stories, uh, lots of data about the results, um, lots of next steps that are published. And, of course, uh, we'll have information about the next cohort up when it's ready for applications. Awesome. Well, such a cool project, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out of it. You know, the impact will be measured, you know, years from now, seeing what these folks go on and do. So that's really cool. All right. So we're going to move now into more data, data nerdery. And there's all types of different uh, data that we could talk about, you know, Giving Tuesday now, the upcoming Giving Tuesday. But one of the themes that's kind of emerged or that you've been talking about recently is this idea of donor fatigue. Uh, which is always something that I feel like the fundraising world is combating or fighting amongst itself to a degree, but this year maybe more than most, given the kind of economic conditions that most of us are are facing. So maybe that'll be like the common thread that we'll use throughout this conversation, looking at the data. But can you maybe just start there and talk about um, kind of donor fatigue and kind of like what it is for people who maybe don't have a definition of it? And then we'll start talking about Giving Tuesday now and Giving Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, this this concern that people will give and they'll give so much that they won't have more to give um, has been quite pervasive in the sector for a long time. And I very strongly, I think that there's a, a, gro- a growing, perhaps consensus is too strong a word, but, <laughs> but um, those that are looking at the data, I think are pretty convinced as I am that donor fatigue really is a myth. And that for sure donors can get tired of a message. Um, but the idea that donors are tired of giving uh, just isn't isn't um, borne out when you look at the data, and and that in particular, hi- higher levels of giving are not an indicator of lower levels of giving, and so we saw we see it when there's major disaster relief response that uh, that doesn't then lead to a cannibalization of giving later in the year. Um, we see it on Giving Tuesday, where we see a net lift without a cannibalization of year-end. Um, people are not tapped out. They, are, they do have more to give, and if they're inspired, they do so. Um, I think that, that key thing is you, you need a compelling message. You need to meet supporters and donors where they are. You need to give people lots of ways to support you. It needs to not feel transactional. Um, but, you know, when we look at, for example, past situations like unprecedented levels of disaster relief response, the people who participate in those campaigns are more likely to give again at year end, not less likely. Mm-hmm. Um, so just right away, that tells you that this concern that if someone gives they, they'll, now, they'll give less later is just overblown. And 75% of donations on Giving Tuesday are given by, by people who have, who are supporting an organization they've supported in the past. So there's clearly opportunity to reactivate donors if, you, if you're thoughtful about it. So what, what's, what I find so interesting about the donor fatigue conversation is, to your point, there's, there's zero data to actually point towards donor fatigue. In fact, there's quite a bit of data that points to the complete opposite, which you just mentioned. And I wonder what the, the fear kind of is. And again, you do this excellently of saying, you know, you're a for-profit marketer as well and put yourself in those shoes. You know, if you're heading into this period and you sell toys, you're like, parents are just tapped out. Let's not try to sell toys this this Christmas. Like, 
that is such a crazy, you know, way to think about things. At one level, I guess it's maybe the compassionate side of nonprofit people wanting to care for donors or something like that. But at the flip side, it's just it's such a weird mindset thing that I have a hard time understanding. What do you think goes into this fear of giving of kind of donor fatigue or this almost desire to want to believe that it's true or there's got to be something kind of weird wrapped up in it, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think there are a couple of components. One is that um, if if you're not doing a job of segmenting, if you're not thinking about your donor's complete experience with your organization as a partner in your success and not giving them multiple ways to engage with you and multiple means of support, and it becomes very transactional, then, you know, you've got the same ask over and over and over again, and you increase the frequency. And it turns out the donors are less responsive to that same message over and over again. Um, that's not donor fatigue. I mean, that that <laughs> that's message fatigue. Um, so I think that really that that is a major component of it. And then um, the other thing we see is that you know people who have a budget for their giving, and um, they they tend to give more. And I think there's been a misunderstanding of that stat um, that this that that sort of that budget is is a very active component for most donors and that it's not elastic. And the data show that neither of those things are true, mm -hmm. um, that you can get people to give and give again. Um, and so we don't have, the reality is people aren't giving less later because they gave more now. Um, it just, that's not how it operates. Yeah, no, I think both of those things are right. And then, you know, the, the job of the fundraiser or the marketer is not to make that decision for the donor. It's to present the absolute best opportunity for them to have a great giving experience and let the donor choose whether or not they want to give. And if the answer is no, then that's fine. You honor that, respect it and move on. But, you know, for us to make that decision proactively and say, oh, people are fatigued, we, we shouldn't ask. It also seems kind of crazy. Like that is not our decision to make. That's not, you know, our job as marketers that's and fundraisers. Right. Uh, so I think that our, uh, our Romanian, our Romanian leader said to me, you know, they look at it as people have a fundamental human need to give. Mm. And if you think about it in that respect, that you're there to provide people with an opportunity to, to meet that need, you're going to take a very different approach to how you message them. Right. And, you know, when we look at, at the COVID crisis and giving Tuesday now as a response to this, it was really interesting to see what emerged because certainly we observe that financial insecurity is a suppresses people's donation behavior. Mm -hmm. um, but their concern about COVID and their communities is a, is a significant driver of participation and generosity. Mm -hmm. And this is because people want to have agency over mm -hmm. this, their situation and they want healthy communities. And one of the ways that they can have agency over really difficult circumstances is to give, give their time, give their money, give stuff, give their voice. Like all of these ways of giving back are, are an antidote to helplessness. Hmm. And your organization is, um, is an opportunity for them to have that agency. Um, so you, you're robbing them of that if you're not present. And when we look at the pattern of giving, just donation in the lead up to Giving Tuesday Now, we saw we see a big slump. And we hear from many platforms that, that confirm that when the shutdowns really started, there was a slump in giving. That seems to have been very largely driven by the nonprofit sector not pivoting. And um, 
and you know not having capacity and people working from home and canceling events and that and checks sitting on desks and all kinds of challenges that that were external but we also heard from our platform partners and from organizations that there were a lot of nonprofits who felt like it was somehow inappropriate for them to be asking at that time and so when when we see then a very very strong recovery uh, accelerated uh, around giving tuesday now um this was in part just driven by organizations getting back into the market mm. and finding an extremely receptive community of supporters that that were looking for that opportunity. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the success of Giving Tuesday now because I think that's partly what's driving maybe this this conversation around donor fatigue this year more than most is that there was already a Giving Tuesday now in the spring, this big global right. day, and now there's another one, plus there's year-end, plus there's an election, plus we're in a pandemic. So, you know... Again, I think the fear of donor fatigue isn't necessarily true, but if you had that fear, then I can understand why that fear is maybe heightened in this year. So can you can you share a little bit about that success that you saw at Giving Tuesday now and then um, kind of what your expectations are as we head into the, the real uh, usual Giving Tuesday? Right. And, I mean, in, in many ways, it was like a regular Giving Tuesday, but there were some clear differences, not the least of which was the environment. Um, what we heard from our from our platform partners was um, overall this was a lift within a lifted period that it helped to accelerate our recovery trajectory and that's certainly um, what the donation data reflect. Um, what was one of the differences we saw was in the tone of the conversation leading into Giving Tuesday now. So the theme, mm-hmm. the dominant theme in social media conversation around Giving Tuesday now was community. And that was interesting because although, and donation became sort of ascended in the, really in the day before. And so we had a lot of conversation about what was actually mattered to people. And then a kind of a solicitation that got layered on top of that. And it was interesting to see results. You know, we measured at least $502 million raised online in the U.S. on that day. That compares very closely to the 511 million raised online on Giving Tuesday 2019. And yet the trajectory of the day, very, very different, right? Four and a half weeks to plan it and get it out. Um, a very different tone to the conversation. And and then we heard a lot of people uh, right, right away you start hearing, oh, well, that was a big giving and May was up. And we're going to see another slump. But we didn't. What we saw was. Um, if anything, more motivation from people to give. Um, the more concerned they were about COVID, the more they more important it was for people to get involved. Um, and and when we look at the you know fr- from May forward, in fact, all of the second quarter of 2020, giving has recovered extremely strongly um, and uh, well above, in fact, the le- the levels for the same period in 2019. Um, and so. Again, what, what do we learn from that? We learn that when the organizations go out in moments of need, where there's urgency and a personal connection to, to the communities people care about, they find that their people are res- responsive and that those people show up and they show up again and that these lifts do not ever cannibalize what comes later. In fact, at the moment, we continue to see an upward trajectory. So all very encouraging. Now, Variability is up. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot less predictability in the marketplace. So I certainly am not saying that I know 
end of year is going to be the biggest ever. But right now, what we're seeing is the indicators are extremely strong. That uh, particularly since the beginning of May and Giving Tuesday now, we've seen extremely, extremely hot giving market. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how again this is the the value of of data because the the um, you know people that would argue against and say, well, yeah, great, you got a spike on the day, but then you know what happened afterwards, and to see the prolonged continue because normally summers quite down. And when we map donations this year to the last year and look at summer, this summer is so much more better than previous summers. And part of that's because we're looking online and online just has a natural bump. But when we look at overall giving too, it's it's impressive to see how strong the summer has been leading into the fall, which is typically, you know, the, the mega season <laughs> that we're entering into. Um, so looking into the fall and coming up to the, the kind of quote unquote regular Giving Tuesday now, or sorry, Giving Tuesday. Um, what are you and your team kind of uh, preparing or, or expecting in terms of um, engagement from nonprofits in terms of, do you expect more people to, to join and participate? Are you, what, are you, what are you thinking? Look into your crystal ball. What do you see? Uh, yeah, predictions are tough. I mean, <laughs> so I will say the most recent data we have um, continues to be encouraging. We're, we're getting some more surveys out in the field to contextualize what's going on. And we continue to collect and analyze data. Our, our current uh, partnership with the Fundraising Effectiveness Project has been really exciting. We just released with them the second quarter report. Um, we're looking at that and seeing that all, all sectors are up, all types of giving is up, uh, retention is stable, um, and all levels of giver are up, which is exciting to see. But I think more int- most interesting there for me at any rate is the fact that um, Small givers or sort of general level givers, as they're called in the um, in the FEP report, are up nearly twenty percent year over year. Hmm. So more than a nineteen percent bump over twenty nineteen through the end of the second quarter. So this really speaks to grassroots givers driving this this lift, and these are the people we see come out on Giving Tuesday responding very strongly. We're seeing new ways that people are getting involved in giving. Mutual aid networks are going to be a bigger part of Giving Tuesday than we've Mm -hmm. ever seen. They're just a bigger part of the entire environment. We're seeing new emerging giving modes like just donating money to small businesses in communities, right? Not even just like buying their product or getting a gift card, but just literally donating money. Mm -hmm. That's not even a category (laughs) a year ago, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it was my prediction. Very hard to predict. My my prediction is if organizations are present, show up, are authentic, and give people lots of ways to get involved, that they're going to find an incredibly receptive marketplace of supporters. I don't know how the U.S. election is going to turn out. <laughs> I don't know what exactly the economy is going to be doing. I don't know what second and third waves of COVID are going to be like. I can't predict any of that. Um, but I think what we can predict is people are more motivated to give in 2020 than perhaps ever before. Yeah, it's so funny seeing the same types of, um, you know, whether it's data or examples, um, you know, prove true over and over. Because I know, you know, some of the research that has come out around like um, generosity and zip codes in the United States, it's like people who have come from or who live in generally like kind of less well-off zip codes are more likely to be generous as a percentage of their income compared to more like wealthy zip codes. 
And there's a few different things wrapped up in it. And one of them is if you don't see need, you don't feel compelled to act. So if you live in a gated community where everything seems fine, you don't give as much. And so there's an element of that, I think, with all this where everyone's empathy is up because we see how much it's impacting all of us, you know, all the time. But probably more so that broad base that we call them broad base, but like the, the smaller level donor they're, they're probably interacting with this and know how hard it is more than anyone. So they're even more generous. And so, you know, what is true outside a pandemic is often true even more so within a pandemic. And it's interesting just seeing that come out, you know, time and time again in the data. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you look at past economic shocks and, and, and 2020 actually looks a lot different and in particular, because you look at the last recession, um, it's suppressed and it's suppressed individual giving. Individual giving is not suppressed right now. Yeah. Um, giving at every donor level is up. Um, so, so we're not see- seeing that effect yet. It's entirely possible we begin to see that signal. But it's worth noting that higher level donors are more sensitive to the economic shocks than lower level donors. So mm-hmm. thinking about all your donors and how and all your supporters and being sensitive to where they're at and giving them ways of engaging with you um, that are non-monetary as well are all really important. Uh, but I think a particular, a particular um, paying a particular attention to those everyday givers is, is going to be really crucial right now. And, and frankly, I mean, this is, this is a reversal of the trend we've seen over the last five years of the hmm. consolidation of giving. Hmm. Um, that, that might be one of the positive legacies of this of this challenge we're facing. Interesting. I also like how you did the the if prediction statement. You know, if the if organizations do this, then I predict. That's that's smart. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to use that. If nonprofits communicate regularly in very personal way, then we will see. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean that that is the yeah. I do. Th- I mean, right now I'm feeling like the like what like perhaps the biggest risk is organizations being afraid to to reach out and as you said you know denying their supporters an opportunity to support them and to have uh have an effect on their communities i think um that's going to be the primary risk we need to be this is a time to be out there yeah yeah we just got done doing one of our year-end workshops and one of the common themes throughout is like you always need to be communicating you know engaging cultivating be present but at this time of year, now more than ever, because it's one of the few times of the year where um, people's motivation to give actually goes up, where they actually visit sites looking to give. That doesn't always happen outside of maybe some giving days or things like that. For the most part, it's it's a bit of a battle. It's a bit of a grind. But especially when we look at the last week of giving, like, you know, uh, conversion rates for the same type of ad quadruples, uh, you know, people's yeah. coming from search or organic, their conversion rates skyrocket. Like you can see user donor motivation just go up and up and up through the season. And if you're not present, if you're not, um, you know, ready to accept those donations, let alone being silent, you're going to suffer. There's no question about it. Supporters are telling us with their behavior that they're that they want to give. Um, They want to give frequently. They want to give often. They want to give to lots of organizations. They want to give in lots of ways. Right. And um, and Q2 is up year over year. In fact, the, the first half of the year, despite Q1 being down, the first half of the year is up. Hmm. But 
it's Q4 that matters. It's just like my retail clients would, <laughs> would be in the same situation, right? Like Q4 is is where all of this comes home to comes home to roost. Um, these indicators are strong. It's a reason to to be extra active. Um, any kind of key uh, like lessons learned, maybe on like the tactics side. I know last time uh, you mentioned kind of. The lead up time is something that has uh, some people have done some research around and saying like, hey, communicating before the day, we now can quantify how important that is. Are there some other things that maybe you and your team or other platforms or organizations have learned around Giving Tuesday, especially to keep in mind? Yeah, well, I mean, I think some of this is just like all the best practices are extra amplified right now. So as I said, you know, giving people multiple ways to engage is, is really important. It's how most people participate in giving is not just giving money. If you look at Giving Tuesday, only giving money is the least common behavior, hmm. right? So, um, so thinking about those multiple engagement channels and, and mechanisms, modes is really, that's, that's gonna be critical. And if you're worried that you're gonna be insensitive to somebody who's lost their job or doesn't have as much money to give, well, this is a great opportunity to maintain that connection, right? Think about, other forms of generosity that you can uh, provide for those for those supporters. Um, I think we have to be agile because there's so much that is unknown right now. That there's authentic stories to tell about how your organization is impacted and is impacting communities, um, and being ready to to pivot depending on response and and these and the, the myriad unpredictable elements right now is that's really key. Um, being digital ready is obviously more important than ever um, because we're seeing non, non-digital giving so, so disrupted. Um, so thinking about virtual events, you know, seeing things like virtual runs uh, come up and we, we know that's going to be a big part of Giving Tuesday this year. Hmm. Um, those are all, and then, you know, as Jamie McDonald has been saying a lot, and I think this is really important is um, like, don't be overwhelmed. You got to start from where you are and remember that the smallest organizations do much better on Giving Tuesday than any other time. And that's a really important moment because that can kick off the rest of your giving season. Mm-hmm. So just that one moment to do something that is incremental. Take that next step from where you are toward where you'd like to be and let that carry you into the end of the giving season with more momentum. It doesn't have to be um, a really sophisticated or well-resourced campaign to be effective. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's what we always try to encourage too is, you know, try to do a little bit more or a little bit better or hopefully both. But don't you don't have to do it perfect or all, you know, those two things are always going to be, you know, recipes for disaster. So a little bit better, a little bit more or both. Um, and then last, last thing, I'm sure we could talk forever and ever. But you mentioned the partnership with the fundraising effectiveness project there. You know, you, you've been busy this year, not alone, just the Giving Tuesdays, but, you know, the, the data commons in the lab. Can you just share a little bit more about what what you've kind of um, have been building and, and what's ahead for primarily, you know, you and your data team? Yeah, we're we're very excited about this, and, and really, we're looking out beyond the next Giving Tuesday. Uh, we're we're putting together our two year roadmap right now. Um, we're providing our data partners with more opportunities to visualize the aggregated data that we're getting from them, so they can really see these trends in real time. 
Uh, we're doing, we're, we're creating a similar business intelligence layer for the fundraising effectiveness project data and key metrics so that everybody will be able to really dig in and ultimately see a more real-time view of the latest metrics. Um, and we have a lot, of, our working groups are standing up between now and, and spring of 2021 uh, to launch new research initiatives into crowdfunding, into workplace giving, uh, donor-advised funds in collaboration with academic researchers. Um, so there will be a lot of new research projects that we're launching in the new year that comes from that consultation, which has been exciting. We have more partners now than ever before. We're in over 50 countries. Uh, teams all over the world getting ramped up. Uh, new initiative in Canada, new cross-border research initiative between Canada and the United States, which I'm really excited about, not only because I'm Canadian. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we're standing up new research uh, hubs with individual platforms. So we're onboarding one right now with Volunteer Match. We're doing another with Charity Navigator. Uh, and you'll see two or three more of these come out over the coming months. Um, and these are a really exciting opportunity because those platforms will be sharing uh, large data sets and data assets with us, which will go into a separate server. We are working with them at our working groups to establish research priorities that can be addressed, questions we want to answer from these data. And then we will be inviting um, researchers and practitioners to then access those data in an environment where they have analysis tools and can publish directly on the platform new findings. Um, so this is this is going. We're going to see more and more of this because we've built this this data commons platform as a public utility, and so there's really unlimited space for new projects like that to be launched. Uh, and so we'll see a lot more academic partnerships as a result of that. Um, I think it's going to be one of the most active. Uh, components of the of the data commons in the next year cool well i uh that's a, a super exciting uh idea for me personally because it's been hard to find you know all the disparate sources of of charity nerdery so the fact that you're helping consolidate some of that is great <laughs> uh awesome well, like a new yeah uh thank you so much for coming on and sharing about the past and what's ahead for the future uh, where can people find out more about what you're up to and you in particular yeah, so um, givingtuesday.org slash lab is where we're sharing um, findings and research and reports, and that will, that will be getting a major overhaul in the new year, uh, but that's you can all get the latest stuff we're sharing there. And givingtuesday.org slash data has information about the data commons, how to get involved, uh, and that will, in the coming month or two, have... Um, individual information about specific projects like the ones that I described uh, as they launch, including what data assets are available, what the research priorities are, and how to get involved. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to share those out as well. Thank you, Woodrow. Appreciate all the work that you're doing, and uh, good luck as we get into this critical time of year. My pleasure, Brady. Anytime. Hi, everyone. It's Brady here again. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get you back to the podcast in a second. I just wanted to make sure you knew about an opportunity to uh, develop and hone your online fundraising skills and give you a special discount. So the Next After Institute, we now have nine online on-demand courses, including our newest one, which is the Bold Training with Dan Pallotta. 
that you can take at any time, whenever you want, get CFRE credits as well as certification from the Next After Institute if you complete the course and pass the exam. This is our way and approach to try to professionalize the digital fundraising side of our space and really use data, research, and evidence to inform how we think and how we believe online fundraising should be done. So there's courses like email fundraising optimization, intro to online fundraising optimization, donation page optimization, a lot of optimization courses, as well as Google Analytics, copywriting, and more. So if you're interested in these courses, you can find them at courses.nextafter.com. But maybe the best thing to look at and what we're offering right now is a special discount to become a member. So by becoming a member of the Next After Institute with an annual or monthly uh, subscription, you can access all nine current courses and any future courses whenever you want uh, for just that one fee, as little as $24.50 a month if you use the special code YEAREND. That's Y-E-A-R-E-N-D. You can do that at nextafter.com slash membership. So if you want to explore further, look at the courses or sign up today, go to nextafter.com slash membership and be sure to use the code YEAREND to save 50% off your monthly or annual subscription. All right, back to the pod. Now we're going to talk to Artie Coolidge, the Director of Marketing and Communications at CareNet, 501c3 nonprofit supporting pregnancy centers around the United States. We're going to talk about year-end fundraising from the nonprofit's perspective, what he's learned, what he's up to, what he recommends, and some insights and ideas for you along the way. So enjoy the conversation. Hey, Artie, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Brady, good to be here. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about year-end fundraising, Giving Tuesday, and all kinds of things like that. But... Before we do, you are a podcast host and expert yourself. Uh, can you share a little bit more about what the podcast is and maybe why you started it? Sure. That would be my 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 honor. <laughs> so my friend Tony and I, Tony Kavicki, we're both in the trenches every single day working on fundraising, you know, working on testing and optimizing. And we just enjoy hanging out. We met in college and this was something that we were both very nerdy about, right? And as you've probably experienced, you find yourself talking about this a lot, right? You know, you go to work, you do a test, and then you come home and you're like, hey, babe, you won't believe what I just <laughs> found, right? And my wife is very supportive of it, but it's not like this is not her thing of like, oh, I want to talk about tests all the time, <laughs> right? Right. And so Tony, Tony is kind of in a similar situation. So we just call each other and just kind of have these conversations. And we thought one day, you know, we should just start a podcast. Like, what if we just sat down in front of our microphone, had these conversations? Maybe it could help someone else. Maybe it would help us, that sort of thing. And so being history nerds that we are, we decided to call it the Marketing Trench Warfare Podcast. And so it's a weekly podcast about the daily battle to grow your brand, build your career, innovate and learn. And that's what we talk about each week. We just had our first year anniversary. Uh, our 61st episode dropped at the time we're recording this. And so it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, Marketing Trench Warfare. Awesome. I mean, good for you guys. It sounds like it's half, you know, like therapeutic and, and counseling of sorts, you know, for yourselves Definitely. as well as, you know, useful for someone else. But that's cool. Well, and that's the part about it that I love is we'll just sit down. We won't script it. We'll both come in with topics we want to talk about. We'll both be going through different things in our own respective nonprofit organizations that we're working through. And then we just get to share that with each other because I know, especially when I started out in this, there would be times when I'd feel really isolated, like mm. I was in a trench, right? And I'm trying to figure out 
How do we slog ahead? How do we actually hit these key metrics? How do we grow our likes on Facebook? Or how do we grow our engagement in email? Yeah. And there were so many voices out there, mm. what we call on the podcast, marketing generals, right? And some of them had really good advice, but some of them seemed like they were completely disconnected from the battlefield. Right. Like they were saying, they were giving strategies to the frontline workers that may have worked 10 years ago, but no one needs anymore or, right. or never worked, right? Because they were never tested, but they were accepted because the general said it. And so we were really like, you know, we can help each other. And there's probably people out there like us who are like, how do we cut through this noise? What's marketing BS and what actually works? And yeah. so that's our goal is each week to try to provide things that we are finding that works and call out generals who we think are <laughs> missing the point. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's awesome. And obviously, this is, you know, why we're having you on is both the alignment around that. And obviously, that's what we're trying to do at the Institute, too, is kind of unearth these conversations and exactly. and provide this type of content that's like well, that for people in the trenches. Exactly. Uh, and that's one of the things is both Tony and I listen to Generosity Freak Show. We love what we hear here because the guests you guys have are doing the same kind of thing. And the fact that you guys have a learning library on your website, we frequently refer our listeners to that learning library because I don't know any other website online right now where I can go any day of the week and find up-to-date research on hundreds of different elements that you could test. And it makes it a lot easier for me because I can go in and make a better educated hypothesis than on my own test. Yeah. And so that's just been something that's been really fun for us as well. Awesome. Well, this is great. We get to plug your podcast. You get to plug our research library. So, you know, now, now, exactly. that, now that that's done with, let's, uh, let's get into the conversation. So, you know, on this episode, uh, we, we're, we're talking about year ends. We're, we're chatting about the research that uh, Nathan and myself are, and next after are doing kind of looking at, you know, uh, the mystery donor side of things, when emails are sent and what does year end look like from the data, you know, talk to, to Woodrow Rosenbaum from Giving Tuesday. And we're talking about you know, what Giving Tuesday has looked like, what's ahead. But sure. I wanted to have you on as kind of a representative voice for the nonprofit, again, in the trenches. So yeah. let me ask you, what what do you, what do you, how do you define year end for your organization? Sure. Uh, and what does that look like? You know, when does it start? You know, when do you start your planning? Just kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit for year end at your organization. Sure. So I should probably say here, I work, I'm the Director of Marketing and Communication at CareNet. We're a national nonprofit. We have 1,100 affiliates around the country. And like most other nonprofits, calendar year-end is typically the peak season, right, for generosity. This is when we see a lot of our donors give. Some of this is tied into taxes, not as much now due to the tax reform that passed a couple years ago. But, you know, there are incentives built into the calendar for people to donate before December 31st, right? And so for years, calendar year-end has been a, a big part of that. And so we'll start thinking about calendar year end and making our plans months in advance. Often by June, July, we're already starting to think about it. But it's been fascinating for, for me to see how our planning has shifted as we've moved more and more into a value-driven, and by value, I mean value for the donor, value-driven approach to our fundraising. Hmm. And that being based upon a system of testing and optimization. So about five years ago, CareNet as an organization committed itself to consistently testing, optimizing, and creating better experiences for our donors. And as we've done that, it's really transformed the way we even think about calendar year-end. 
So for me now as director of marketing and someone who has a lot of responsibility for crafting donation pages and landing pages and email appeals, the, the primary question I'm always asking is, how is this going to celebrate the donor and the great work they're doing in and through our network of centers and our hotline and things like that? Hmm. Because before, I think what we would often fall into, and it's an easy trap as a, as a fundraiser or marketer, is how can I make this campaign bring me the greatest value and success, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how can I, how can this make me hit my metrics, right? And those are important questions. But if we start from there, then oftentimes it ends up translating into our copy, right? It ends up translating to the tone and the feel of the campaign. So the donor receives it and they feel like you're doing this great thing. You're having this amazing adventure. You're saving lives and they're being invited to take part rather than here's what people like you are doing. They're saving lives. They're having this great adventure and you can join them, right? And be part of this movement. And so um, for us, in terms of when it starts, it starts as early as June. And then we start working through with that established mission, what tactics we want to employ to bring about those successes. Awesome. Yeah. It's it's funny that the shift of kind of like value focused or donor centric at one level, it's like radical and another one, it's like, it's, it's really just a slight shift, you know? But exactly. it's an important one to always think about the person on the other side of the screen, uh, particularly as you look at optimization. It's one of the dangers of optimization. If you just, all you do is optimize purely based on numbers, you can actually go down a path that maybe is not the most useful, in the, especially in the long term, right? So keeping the donor mind is, is exactly. massive. So if you've been kind of testing and optimizing and, and taking this approach for kind of the past five years, what are some things that you've learned about this time period for your organization in terms of yeah. those tactics or strategies? And that's one of the things I love that you just said for your organization, because this is something Tony and I talk about all the time, right? Um, because we're, we're spending our time critiquing generals and saying, ha, ah, this doesn't really work, right? But we don't want to do the same mistake, right? We don't want to say, oh, this is exactly what you should do. This is the email cadence you should do. This is the sender t- you know, subject line. Because as you know, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Everyone's group of donors are different. And I loved listening to your interview a few weeks ago with Jen Shang, where she really got into that idea and that mindset of how each organization is attracting donors that are unique, right? They, because of how they view themselves and the world around them, they're drawn to organizations that are furthering that mission, right? Mm-hmm. So for us and our and our donors and our supporters, what we found is that they want to be ministered to. Mm. And that's one of the biggest things that we found from our testing a lot of our success isn't directly tied just to like, we had this great subject line or we decided to send an email to non-opens or something as a forward. Like those are tactics. Mm -hmm. And we can talk a lot about tactics and those are great, but I love talking about the mission first, right? Because like, what? how are you furthering the mission vis-a-vis your donor and making them part of that? And so for us, one of the most successful things we found for calendar year end is actually calling our donors. And we actually do this um, organization-wide. So even even someone at the lowest position, right, on the totem pole, all the way up to the president and CEO, they have at least 100 donors that they're calling for. Wow. Some of them up to 400 donors. And they're sitting there on the phone, physically dialing, 
phone numbers hmm. and leaving voicemails or having conversations. And in all of these conversations, we're not starting with, hey, Brady, this is, you know, Karenette, how can you give me money? Like, yeah. That's not what we're doing. And that's what they're expecting, right? Oftentimes, once they hear Karenette, they're like, oh, my donation's <laughs> coming or I'm not donating. And I was like, no, 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 right. wait, wait. We're just here to thank you because here's what you did this past year through your giving. And we wanted to know how we can minister to you and your family. The holidays are a busy time. How can we pray for you? Mm-hmm. I should say Karenette's a religious nonprofit. So for us, that works really well. Now, if you're listening to this and you're not a religious nonprofit, that's fine. You don't need to ask how they, you know, you can pray for them. But you can just ask, how's things going? Like COVID's going on. You know, we've just been thinking about you. And if there's anything we can do to help, we want to do that. And what we find is every year consistently, the feedback we get from donors from this calling campaign is just fantastic. And we routinely hear from donors that we're the only organization that they hear this message from. And I know they're donating to other great nonprofits. And I know we're not the only great nonprofit out there by far, right? So when I hear that, it tells me, man, there's so many organizations out there that, that can do this and that aren't doing this. And it makes me ask, why aren't they doing it? Like yeah. what, what's missing that this isn't part of the planning, right? Yeah. So what, what do you think it is? So, you know, we, we just did this multi-channel study with Virtuous where we tracked phone calls as well as text messages for four months. And it was like six or 8%, both to the online donor, and the offline donor received a phone call or a voicemail of any kind in the four month time period. So it's like very, very few organizations. Now we keep our phone number on file with a lot of these organizations and there's sure. definitely like waves, you know, like early in the year, that's when we get a lot of like the, the kind of upsell calls and things like uh-huh. that that aren't from people. So there's definitely like time frames, but in uh-huh. terms of the more like ongoing calling nature, at least this study and previous studies, the phone is very, very much underused. So why do you think that is? Or maybe the the flip side, someone might be listening like, well, we don't have the time and money to call a hundred donors. So like, can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe from the inside of like, how did you win that cultural battle or how did that decision get made? Cause that is a lot of time. Oh, it is. And, and, and every year I can tell you, because I'm one of the ones having to make the calls and it's not like my day got longer. Right. And it's not like other things came, fell off my calendar so I could just dedicate this time to it. Um, and I have to credit our president and CEO, Roland Warren, for really being the one to push this through the organization. So I, I think that that obviously benefited us. Mm. And if you're listening to this and your, your boss or you know, your CEO isn't behind this, then it's going to be a tough road to walk right. right? in terms of how to have this. I think the reason a lot of organizations, a lot of CEOs don't get be- behind it is because you can't really put a direct ROI on it. Like when I send out an email appeal, I can put a Google Analytics UTM in there and I can track how much revenue came from this appeal really easy. And I can go to the CEO and say, look, this appeal generated this much revenue. Mm -hmm. But since we're not even asking for donations on these phone calls, we can't show a direct one-for-one correlation. So I think that's one reason that it can be a tough sell is because organizations say, I'm spending all this time what am I getting out of it? But I think how you do make the case, and this is what we've done internally, is by actually documenting and recording the feedback we get, right? Mm-hmm. There are ways to do that, to ha- record those conversations, take those notes, save those emails, and then see how those donors are, are what they're doing going forward. And then, of course, with multi-channel studies like you guys just released showing data and aggregate of how 
this kind of fundraising impacts is always helpful. Now, I understand the, the second part of that question intimately well, which is we don't have the resources, frankly, we don't have the staff, we can't call our donors. And that's why I think for organizations that are stuck in that place, uh, a system like Sly Broadcast is one that's really great to recommend. I know you guys have talked about it, Brady, on, on your podcast before on the Freak Show. And we, we've used that at CareNet as well, right? Because with Sly Broadcast, you can drop a voicemail directly into a donor's voicemail box. And the great thing about voicemail is we don't expect someone leaving me a voice, you know, leaving us a message to say our first name, right? Like if I'm calling you and leaving you a message, you don't expect me to say, Brady, it's, you know, you just expect, hey, it's Artie, you know, this is what's going on because that's just how we, we do it. So you can very easily send out a campaign in Sly Broadcast, drop voicemails in your donor's boxes, just saying 15, 20 seconds, this is our organization. We're just calling to thank you. Love to hear how you're doing. If you have a prayer request, give us a call back. Here's our number. And that's a way that you can systematize it. And then you're only having conversations with those who are actually wanting to have the conversation with you. I still think there's something great about having all your staff involved because what we have found is not only are we benefiting donors, but quite frankly, we're benefiting us because it means that everyone in the organization is aligned with the frontline supporter who's doing things, right? Mm -hmm. And it means that er the donors are getting to meet people in the organization they never otherwise would have encountered. And so there's a lot of benefits there that I think if you can afford the time, it's worth doing it rather than just relying on Sly Broadcast. But if you're in a position or in a crunch, Sly Broadcast is as cheap as two cents a voicemail. So I definitely say that's the way to do it. Cool. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. And and then, you know, um, some of the research that we've cited in the past, like from Bloomerang, uh, they've looked at, you know, who received a phone call. And this is the value of a CRM or, or tracking too, right? Like in theory, exactly. you could track every single person that you had a physical call with or a real call yeah. with say, we called them on this date at the end of year end, you can pull up the reports and say, Hey, did they get a phone call or not? Now it's not cause and effect. It's not a pure split test. You got to be careful, but being able to attribute at least some value, you know, can make that case a little easier to a boss who maybe doesn't, you know, totally get it. Or maybe you're going to try it this year. You know, it's important. Exactly. It's important to get some of that data. So you're not just like, well, you know, we, we think it worked maybe, or, you know, something like yeah. that. So that's cool. Uh, totally. that, that's really cool that you use uh, your staff to, you know, those type of team building things are really, really important, uh, shared experiences across the organization. And then hearing from donors, like that's one of the challenges too. Like normally your major gifts people, right? Like they hear from donors all the time. Maybe you're like admin folks, but you know, if you're like behind a computer, like I was, it's like, I actually don't hear that much from you know a lot of donors. So it's a good opportunity to actually hear, you know, voice of the customer. Um, so this year was a little nuts. You may have heard uh, 2020. <laughs> it was a little crazy. How do you think um, 2020 is going to impact your calendar year end plans or results, uh, if any? Or is it just kind of who knows? We'll find out in a few months. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting question. One we've been asking on our fundraising team. And, and this kind of gets me to one of the things that's concerned me in the midst of this pandemic. And I've been listening to a lot on you know, your podcast. I've been listening to other fundraising and donor-specific podcasts, reading the literature out there, what's going on, being part of some online forums and chat rooms and things like that on this topic. And it seems like a lot of nonprofits, when coronavirus hit, the shutdown started happening, the economic impact started being felt they were afraid to ask for money. Mm -hmm. They were just like, look, 
we need to, and, and sometimes, and honestly, I think their motivation was a great one, a compassionate one, right? They're like, we want to create value for our donor. If our donor just lost their job, right? They don't need to be hearing us asking with, for a fundraising appeal. They don't need to read that in the mail. They don't need that. We're going to give them a break, right? And so I think sometimes the motivation was even that compassionate one, right? Other times it was just the fear of we don't want to bother them, right? They're mm -hmm. busy. But the result of that is you raise no money, right? I mean, by definition, if you're not asking for money, right, you're not going to get as much money, right? And if you're in a service industry nonprofit, especially, when is your when are your services more needed than during a pandemic? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's like if you were building life rafts, right? The people on the Titanic need you, right? Like the people mm -hmm. on the Titanic weren't there saying, man, we don't want a life raft company right now. No, they, they know that, right? They needed that. And I think for a lot of nonprofits, ours included, donors expect that the services that they funded and that they've supported are going to need them more than ever before. But we have to give them the opportunity by, and the invitation to participate in that way. And so one of the things that we committed to at the beginning of the pandemic was, again, what's the mission? Our mission is to celebrate our donors and celebrate the impact they're doing on the world through the work of our, our network, right? So we're giving um, timely reports to them on the progress of what was going on in our work and how coronavirus was impacting our delivery system, right? And in the midst of that, we had committed appeals, inviting them, again, inviting them to give again, to enable us to reach the increased demand because our demand, the demand for our services increased. And what was remarkable is not only did donors respond to the same level as they did before the pandemic, they actually responded to a much higher level than they've done before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that trend consistently all the way through now. So as we're getting ready for calendar year end, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But the data that I'm seeing and the data I've seen in other organizations that have followed this route of reporting to the donor, right? Celebrating the donor, of making the donor part of what's going on to deliver services during the pandemic. Those organizations are thriving financially during this crisis. And I and that's what I think is going to happen as we continue forward. Because again, calendar year in, people often expect, oh yeah, I donate before December 31st, right? So this is the time, you, if you haven't been asking during the pandemic or telling them what's happened, right? If you're listening to this, you're like, man, we haven't told our donors how the pandemic impacted us. Get on the phones, get on, get on the email, give them an update, right? Six months in, this is where we are. And as we're going into the holiday season, this is the need that we're facing, right? If you're serving kids and families, right? Talk about how hard Christmas is going to be for those families because dad's out of work or mom is a frontline worker and can't come home because she's quarantined. You know what I mean? Like have those conversations with your supporters because they're ready to have that conversation. You just need to start it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we've definitely seen that same trend. It's something that Woodrow talks about as well in their data. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, uh, on a wider level, we talk a lot about the scarcity mindset of, of yes. nonprofits. And there is this belief almost that, you know, there's a certain pie of giving and it's limited and it, and it only gets carved up. And so, you know, it, it, we can't ask people now, so let's ask them later. Or if people have already given, then they won't give again. And this is not based on any sort of data. It's not based on donor psychology. Like th this idea that giving is somewhat limited is not. It's actually one of the only things that like is unlimited 
you know, and right. giving, giving begets giving and this idea that we, we can't, or we shouldn't now you and me, no one's advocating like, Hey, you know, empathy's up, like ring them up. Just like no, ask. No, no all. one is saying that at all. But to your point, providing updates, here's the need. There is a heightened sense of empathy. It's your job to create this invitation. It's not your job to say when they should or should not give, right? That's just yeah. not the role of, of the nonprofit or the fundraising market. So it's great to hear that, that you're doing that. Um, how do you guys approach Giving Tuesday? So that's interesting for us because um, honestly, Giving Tuesday has been kind of a, a on again, off again relationship for our organization. <laughs> so, you know, for a lot of years, we really didn't do it. Then we started to try to get into it. And a lot of our messaging was themed around it's Giving Tuesday. Here's your opportunity to give, right? So it was really us trying to get on the bandwagon effect, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the emails I tend to get in my inbox from nonprofits I support around Giving Tuesday are that way, right? Like, it's this day. This is what everyone expects you to do. So do your civic duty and do it. Kind of like voting, right? Like, everywhere you go now, it's like, are you registered to vote? Mm -hmm. Have you voted? Are mm -hmm. you registered to vote? Seriously, are you registered? Like, it's that, mm -hmm. that kind of approach. And we would get some money from it. But I, I would wager that a lot of donors get more excited about the impact your organization is having on the world than they get excited about the day of Giving Tuesday. And so for, for us, right, what we have found is if we can create value and give something to our donors on Giving Tuesday, or quite frankly, do it on any other Tuesday, we'll often generate more revenue from doing that. Mm -hmm. than just by doing a straight up, here's our need, give us money, mm -hmm. right? Because again, we're connecting to the heartfelt need that that donor has that they see in the world around them that CareNet's speaking into, and that's why they partnered with us in the first place, right? And so one of our best, most successful Giving Tuesday campaigns was simply giving away an Advent devotional. Hmm. And we even tested it. We did a traditional like, it's Giving Tuesday, go for it kind of thing versus, hey, it's Giving Tuesday, and a lot of people are probably asking you for stuff right now, but we just wanted to give you this free Advent devotional for you and your family. And when we did that, we raised more money off of that email than we did on, than on the bandwagon effect, right? Okay. And so I don't think, for me, when I, when I hear someone's like, hey, Artie, should I do Giving Tuesday or not? It's more of a question, again, of let's, before we get into the tactic of Giving Tuesday, let's talk about the mission, right? If what is your mission, right, with this campaign and what are you going to do? And, you know, I, I meant to mention this earlier, but when organizations think through min mission and as marketers, when we think through mission, I think a lot of times we spend our time front loaded. So we're thinking of how do I ask for the money? But we don't spend time thinking about the back end. How, what do I do after the gift comes in? Mm -hmm. Right. Because you spend all these weeks crafting the perfect appeal, the perfect Giving Tuesday campaign. But we don't say, what are we going to do on Thursday when we've counted the gifts that have come in? What are we going to tell everyone who participated in Giving Tuesday? Mm -hmm. And as a donor, I know what I've experienced from the vast majority of nonprofits I've supported in my life, which is crickets. I get all the emails, right? Mm -hmm. I participate. And then it's crickets, right? No, mm -hmm. one's, no one's coming and talking to, to me about, hey, Artie, thanks for your Giving Tuesday gift. Here's the difference it made in Susan's life or Jane's life or John's life, right? That's not there. Mm. Instead, it's kind of like, yay, Artie donated. They celebrated in some room in their fundraising center, right? And then I'm going to get another appeal at Christmas. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. um, kind of a long-winded answer, but 
we've 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 enjoyed Giving Tuesday, but it's for us, it's again part of how do we work that into this overall mission of creating value for our donor rather than how do we fit the donor into a bandwagon effect around Giving Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting when you talk to the Giving Tuesday folks too, like that's what they say as well. You know, no one was yeah. intending to have this day of high volume, high pressure, high asks, and that's all that it was. And what, you know, the interesting thing, whether it's like Giving Tuesday or the, you know, global pandemic or whatever it is, it's just like good fundraising is good fundraising is good fundraising, you know, exactly. and it's, it's what's so uh, frustrating at times. And I think it shows a, a bit of an opportunity in our space when we jump from maybe like a tool or tactic or this giving day or this, you know, new piece of software, instead of, you know, maybe being able to stand back and have a, a better, broader perspective of what is fundraising really about? What is good fundraising? And then how does this day or this tool or the software fit within that, as opposed to the tool or the day being the thing in the first place, you know, exactly. it, it happens all the time. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. Uh, do you, do you have anything on tap coming up, you know, an experiment or something you're going to try or something that, you know, you're keen to find out uh, this calendar year in that you want to share with us? Sure. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited about this calendar year end is we're going to do a specific um, prayer event for everyone on our file. And we're just going to have a time where they can share their prayer requests. We did one of these at the beginning of the pandemic. And now, you know, more than six months in, we're going to do it again and ahead of the calendar year end time. And, and to be clear here, it isn't like, you know, we need to do a prayer event because this is going to get our donors more motivated. Like it's not, it's not about being crass like that, but it's again mm -hmm. about if we value these donors and we say we're a religious nonprofit ministry, which we are, are we going to put our time and our money where our mouth is, right? Mm. And so that's one of the things that as I talked to our president CEO about the prayer calls, right? That's one of the things that he, you know, he made clear was we tell our donors that we're our ministry. But if we're not actually doing ministry things, how do we claim to be a ministry? Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of religious nonprofits, that can be some, a, a trap to fall into mm -hmm. as we get so focused on the other stuff that we forget that we are actually supposed to minister to our donors too, mm -hmm. right? And so that's one of the things I'm really excited about is just seeing what happens as a result of this, seeing the stories that we get from donors, you know, the, the things we're able to pray with them through, really excited about that. Another thing that um, I'm wanting to test in this new year, and I still haven't quite figured out yet how we're going to do it is I want to test ways of celebrating the donor right after they make their donation, mm -hmm. right? Like when you decide that you're going to part with your hard earned cash, confetti should be shooting, right? Mm -hmm. Fireworks should be going off, right? This is the moment that you are actually making a difference in the world. You didn't just order something on Amazon you're helping save a life or you're helping feed a child or whatever it may be. And so we've had some ideas of like, do we actually make confetti shoot on the donation page after they hit donate, right? Mm -hmm. Do we, do we have some kind of celebration phone call that comes in that actually sounds like a party's going on? You know what I mean? Like what, what do we do around that? And I, I don't have the answer yet. I wish I did, but that's one of the things I'm really excited about trying to test into this year. Um, and we might be able to get it done in time for calendar year end. But uh, for us, like you were just saying, it isn't just about this season. It's this ongoing thing. Right. So for me, it's like even if I don't get to it in calendar year end, I'm going to talk to the donor in January. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to the donor, donor in February right. because I'm going to give them consistent touch points so that they always know what they're part of. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of room to to look at what we do immediately after a gift. We've actually ran the confetti 
uh, tests, and unfortunately, oh. it was insignificant. Uh, it didn't really? validate. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 a really tricky test, right? Because a you have to track downstream value. So like, who exactly. saw the confetti? Who didn't see the confetti? And then there's some variables on what they received. Did they open emails, etc.? And then sure. also, it's an immediate stimulus. And then if you're banking on that carrying through and helping impact something two, three, four months later, exactly. that's really not overly realistic either. So there's an element there where it's like, you know, you could try it. It might be really hard to validate, but also that's where your your more anecdotal feedback or like, is this just something good to do to like, you exactly. know, celebrate donors? Let's try it. That's cool. Uh, okay. So what's, what's maybe one thing someone should do who's listening to this, thinking about their year end? What's the one thing that you think they need to do? So year end often falls around, you know, Christmas, right? And while not everyone celebrates Christmas, it's kind of hard to avoid the specter of it, right? And if it fits with your organization, I think again, what I would ask myself, what are the gifts I can give to my my donors this year? And so I I would start with again those those calls. If you're not calling your donors, call them, right? If a donor makes a gift to you and you're not trying to call them on the phone or leave them a voicemail from Sly Broadcast within the first couple of days of their donation, I just say, why not, right? Because this isn't, forget the fundraising side. Again, let, not to be a crass fundraiser here, just to be a good human being, right? If your kid came up to you and was like, daddy, can I have $10 to go buy this toy? And you're like, of course, you're, you're my adorable child. I'm gonna let you buy the toy. And they never talked to you about the toy or never expressed any thanks to you. How would you feel? Mm. You wouldn't feel great about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so- um, I would I would start with that. I would say call them, make sure that's part of it this calendar year in. I would say make sure that um you're excluding. This was something that CareNet didn't have the ability to do, right? And if that's you, I understand. For years we didn't have the ability to do this, but try to get where you can exclude donors who've already donated in the calendar year in campaign from the stream of appeals that go out, right? Mm. A lot of our organizations are sending at least three appeals during calendar year and season. For us at CareNet, we tend to send four to six in the last eight weeks of the year. But if someone donates on that appeal, we don't want them to be treated like they didn't respond. Because again, that's not celebrating the donor. Mm. If, if, the, if you know, Brady gives us $100, right, on the first email because they're so motivated and then get six more emails <laughs> telling him how motivated he needs to be, how, how happy is that, right? How, how much are we celebrating them? And so that made a marked difference for us when we were able to pull the trigger on a CRM and integration with our donor platform that enabled us to exclude those people from those emails. And so that would be another tactic that I would encourage if, if people haven't thought about it, try to incorporate that into what you're doing. And if you want to ask the person who made a donation for another one in that same period, don't then have a specific second gift campaign because we've done that and it's been amazing. And this second gift is for a specific need over and above what we were talking about, right? So it's not asking them to donate again to the same thing, but it's rather saying, hey, Brady, you just donated to do A. Well, we just found out this opportunity to do B. Would you help us make this possible too? And what we found is 25 to 40% of people who made a gift We'll give again on that second gift. Hmm. And so it's been really encouraging to see that. Cool. Yeah. The other opportunity there is December 31st, where you, you can segment and say, hey, we know you already gave. Thank you so much. You know, this is the last chance for tax reasons or whatever it might be. You know, would you consider making a gift that will allow this to happen in the next year? Exactly. You know, that's another 
But to do that, it's the same form. You got to have the data. You got to do a segment. So a couple of good things there. All right, we're going to do some quick rapid fire and then uh, let you get on with your way. So uh, what is a tool or resource or website that you found incredibly useful uh, maybe this year or recently? Hemingway app, HemingwayApp.com. I love it. I like to think that I'm a good writer. And then I go to Hemingway and I remind, <laughs> I'm reminded constantly of how much better I can be. Uh, it'll, uh, the long and short of it is it analyzes all your copy and it gives you a grade level at what reading level it is. And then it highlights the sentences that are hard or very hard to read. And we now run all of our donation pages through it, our emails through it. And consistently we find it's just easier to read. It's better at communicating. And there's even a test I know that you guys did, Brady, on Hemingway, where you found that it increased donor conversion as well. So yeah, I was just looking at a newer version of that this morning, and it was a petition sign up using a lower reading grade level, which increased donations. So it's kind of interesting. Um, that Yeah, that's definitely a cool tool. Another one to look at is uh, Donor Voice has a copy optimizer tool that they're developing. And it's oh. very, very specific to fundraising. So it looks at um, different terms around narrative and involving scores. So, interesting. Yeah. So we're going to do some research with them to, to cross-reference a bunch of our experiments and emails to see uh, more of those types of um, analysis. So it's not like how to write necessarily like Hemingway. You'd, you'd probably want to use them both. You know, one's for like sentence sure. structure and reading level. The other one's more like, do you have these key things like talking in a narrative style or involving the reader in it? So some cool Now, stuff. is that one available publicly yet? It should be publicly available. Yes, it may have a little bit of manualness on the back on the okay. back end. I've been told that it should be fully ready to go next year. So excellent. Well, I will definitely add that to our docket then. Yeah, it should be. Thanks cool. for that tip. Uh, what about favorite TV show you watched this year? Umbrella Academy. Ooh, definitely okay. Umbrella Academy. It's good. Yeah. I always it see it on Netflix, it? and it looks intriguing, but I've never watched it. You should definitely watch it. There's two seasons out. My wife and I binged through it. It's not your average comic book show, definitely darker than your average comic book show. Okay. But I really love the commitment the show has to family, hmm. even when your family is extremely dysfunctional. Um, so as, as many families are. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> a, a person that people listening should follow. So uh, I've always enjoyed Marcus Sheridan, the pool guy. I mean, I know it's not, it's probably cliche. He's, he's cited a lot out there, but I still get a lot of out of him and uh, his impact uh, uh, blog. Um, I also have enjoyed Chris Mercer. Um, I, I find a lot of great tools and tricks and things to just make my day easier by following Chris Mercer and signing up for his emails. So right. recommend both of them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know Marcus, but i we rewatched his talk earlier this year as a team that he did at Neo a few years ago and it was great. He's got some good stuff and Mercer is a beauty. He's a great guy too. Yes. Uh, okay. So you get one visit and only one visit, uh, one, only one website that you can visit for all of 2021. What is it and why? Foodnetwork.com. <laughs> That's uh, a good several, answer. Several reasons. One, no politics on foodnetwork.com. <laughs> no news, no late breaking stories, no right. controversies, nothing. Just great food. Mm. And what could make 2021 better or really help us through 2020 better than food? <laughs> so foodnetwork.com hands down. That's a great answer. All right. And then last one, uh, you can't use CareNet. What's, what's a, one of your favorite charities that, that you think is doing great work? Oh, sure. Um, I would say pro most of the listeners probably have never heard of it because it's a very small charity out there, but I actually am friends with someone who helped start it and it's uh, blazing hope ranch. Hmm. They help victims of sex trafficking. They help rehabilitate victims and help them 
recover and just get their lives restarted. And they do amazing work and they use horses and animals, right, as part of that recovery process. And so Blazing Hope Ranch, if you've never heard of them, give them a listen, look them up, they're online. And um, yeah, they're doing great work. Awesome. Well, thanks uh, for sharing and, and playing this these games here. Uh, where can people find out more about you, CareNet, and your podcast? Definitely. Uh, so for CareNet, you can find it at care-net.org. And our podcast is marketingtrenchwarfare.com. And uh, if you want to email me, I answer all emails personally because I believe in that value creation, value-driven work. And so uh, my email address is just my first and last name, artycoolidge at gmail.com. Be happy to answer any questions I can or help you out anyway. This has been amazing, Brady. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck with your year end. Fantastic. You made it all the way to the end of the year-end fundraising pod special. We talked to Nathan Hill. We talked to Woodrow Rosenbaum. We talked to Artie Coolidge. Hopefully you found a bunch of different insights and ideas and resources to help your year-end fundraising. Be sure to check us out at nextafter.com. You can also visit nextafter.com slash year-end to see all of the year-end fundraising resources as well as this podcast. So that's kind of meta. You know, listen to a podcast, go online to a landing page, see the podcast that you listened to that drove you there, and then maybe you can re-listen to the podcast and visit the website. And then, you know, around and around you go. Uh, So anyways, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to be with us, and I hope you found it useful. Good luck.